This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is Zeno Rost Van Tonigan, CEO at Tyrads. And we're going to be discussing how programmatic advertising works in a privacy centric world. Welcome to the podcast, Zeno. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Scott. So, we were just discussing just before I press record about how you ended up where you are today. I'd like to know a little bit about your backstory and how you ended up in Indonesia. Yeah, so it's actually a very interesting story. So I had a uh, company before this in the Netherlands, and um, that was actually together with my brother. He actually started the company, and um, uh, when we started the uh, when he started the company, I got first hired as a marketing manager, did some AdWords, uh, basically did some uh, lead gen for the company, and then eventually I was like, okay, why is my leads not converting? And then I started doing the sales myself, and and from there, I just basically grew and grew and grew. Um, and that was in mobile ad- advertising. So that was basically in advertising for mobile apps. Um, and uh, we were basically one of the first agencies to be able to do that. And that company was called App Promoters. So um, yeah, I started there, uh, learned everything about uh, app marketing and how that works. And uh, uh, eventually exited uh, the company. And then I uh, uh, thought to myself, I never been to Asia. I really would love to go to Asia one time. So I, I basically booked a one bay, one way ticket to Thailand first, and then from Thailand, I went to India for a bit, and then from India I went to Jakarta, and then from Jakarta I, I ended up in Bali basically. And I basically set up a, a, a similar company, um, but then in the Asia specific uh, scene. So it's a very similar to what I did in uh, in in Amsterdam and uh, uh but now doing it in Asia and uh, we actually expanded back to Europe and expanding into the, to the United States as well. So a similar offering but with warmer summers. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, the cold winters I can't handle anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then programmatic. Why is programmatic on your radar? So programmatic is for me very important because it's basically allowing you to get access to the entire internet. 
if you would buy on Facebook or you would buy on AdWords, for example, right, you would basically be limited towards the advertising space on Facebook or the advertising space on AdWords. And what programmatic does, it, it basically allows you to be able to target a user everywhere across the web. So any website that they use, any app that they use, basically any advertising space that's available is available on programmatic. And that's why it's so interesting for me because there's no limitations once you know how to make it work. And I see at the moment, as we speak today, are you still working in the app marketing space or are you strictly working now and moving towards everything programmatic? Yeah, so we're still working in the advertising space for apps. Uh, we actually have a lot of different traffic sources that we use, but one of the main focus points for us is going to be on programmatic advertising and uh, building this out because that's where the future is going to be um, for any kind of advertising it might be in. Oh, well, you've set that up perfectly, Zeno. So why is the future going to be programmatic? I've spoiled it a little bit by in the intro referencing that we're going to be talking about privacy centricity. So I imagine that's where you're headed. Yeah, so it has to do really a lot with the fact that uh, when you're programmatic advertising and you're buying traffic there, uh, you have access to the entire web, right? The only problem is that it's very difficult to be able to target the exact user that you need to be able to target to get the right quality that you're looking for. So that was the main issue with programmatic. It was very difficult to do that. Now, then came in the data aggregators where you were basically able to buy data to be able to uh, buy specific uh, segments so that you can target those users base very specifically. Same like how you would do that on Facebook or how you would do that on AdWords. And when we... Uh, when, when you go into that area and you go into the data privacy part, uh, basically what's happening right now is that's going to get limited in a sense. So uh, you're not able to target the same user base as, as you would be able to do as you in the, in the past with these data aggregators. So you would say, okay, that's a negative, right? But that can actually be a very big positive. Why it's going to become more difficult for people to actually buy on this space and be effective with it. So meaning there's going to be less competition to make it work. So what I focus on a lot and with, with our team is how are we able to going to be able to buy using the specific data that we have available and still be able to function in a data privacy world. And we're going to be doing that with first-party data. So our own data that we have where we will be able to still target those users in the right way, in the right manner, to be able to be still effective and get the right users for your brand or for your product or for your apps. So a recap there. And for, you know, I imagine a lot of our listeners are familiar, at least broadly, with what's happening in the world of privacy. But you talked there about data aggregators that have worked up until this point on the curation and selling of data through predominantly third-party cookies. Is that correct? Third-party cookies, device identifiers like the IDFA or the Google Advertiser ID. Um, you also have a Windows ID or something like that. There's a lot of different IDs that are available there. Also, even on your smart TV, you have a specific ID. Um, so there's uh, either it's IDs or it's cookies, or there's a lot of different areas that are uh, basically up and coming uh, or that, that, that you can actually use to target a user on. Um, yeah, and, and with the cookies, right, you have the cookies that is basically going to disappear with the Google Privacy Sandbox, and that's something that will have a very big effect on how effective you are able to buy on, on ads on websites uh, in particular. So for anyone that's maybe not familiar with the Google Privacy Sandbox, are you able to provide a brief summary of what that is? 
Yeah, so the Google Privacy Sandbox basically means that the Google Advertiser ID, which is the unique identifier to target a mobile Android user, is going to disappear. And the cookies are also going to disappear. Uh, that's set. The cookies are set to disappear in 2023 this year, um, but probably that's going to be pushed to 2024. And the Google Advertiser ID is also going to be pushed and be able to disappear in 2024. Now, if you don't have cookies and you don't have Google Advertiser ID, that is basically the unique identifier to be able to target a specific user. Without that, you're going to have a very difficult time to be able to target that exact user and actually uh, show the right ad to the right user so that they can convert and and be a good customer for you. Um, And that's what's up and coming right now. And I've seen over the last couple of years, I think originally back in 2020, I think the name of it was federated learning of cohorts which was i would consider that to be google privacy sandboxes made first major initiative and that from what i'm aware has been sunsetted and kind of replaced by topics i don't know how much you're aware of this specific space but is that correct yeah so they have a couple of different uh, areas that they're focusing on and, and it's very open source they're they're giving a lot of feedback back from the community so you can actually submit like your ideas and, and google's actually listening towards that uh, topics is what came from that feedback, basically. And they're the, trying to iterate on that based on the feedback that they're getting from agencies and advertisers in general. Now, we've kind of framed that third-party data collection up until this point, And now we know a little bit about what's happening with Google. Uh, I'd like to know where programmatic and how you're doing it compares. So are you able to talk a little bit about the first-party data collection? What does that mean in context of programmatic? Yeah, so the first-party data is your own data. It's uh, Third-party data is what you buy, basically. So you don't own that data. You buy that from data aggregators. So if you want to buy a lookalike audience or you want to buy a a segment, uh, an audience segment of males between the age of 30 and 50, you can buy those segments and target those users. First-party data, you don't have to buy. That's what you own, what you already know about your users and what you know that already works. And there's initiatives right now in the programmatic sense to be able to use that first-party data and be able to match that to retarget those users. That's basically using hashed IDs for the phone numbers and email addresses that you would share between your first-party data and the publisher's first-party data, where the publisher is the one that's showing the ads, basically. So it's quite complicated, but there are uh, multiple initiatives that are coming in that way that's going to allow to be able to Uh, target your existing users. Now, from those existing users, you can also start, if you take your first-party data and the first-party data of the traffic sources that you're working with, you can actually still be able to find audiences that are similar to that audience group and be able to target based on that information. And without that first-party data and a good understanding of your own data and what you have and what you own yourself... Um, and you don't get prepared for that, you're basically just going to be able to not target the right users when all these changes happen. And that's where the big opportunity is. If you're able to build on this right now already, um, you're basically going to be able to buy the ad impressions at a much cheaper price than anybody else is going to be able to do. And for quite a long period of time before people actually catch up on how to do this. So that's why I'm talking about it and why I find it so interesting and why we're already preparing for that and, and getting ready for that. Uh, that's an interesting thing to reflect on. So the price of data capture at this point, before everything starts to roll out in late 2023, 2024, from a Google perspective, you think now's the time to get this implemented because actually it's going to be a cost-saving measure. 
if you work on it now. Is that correct? Yeah, it's just going to be a, a, comp- a competitive edge, really, for yourself. If you're able to target still the right users using uh, a hashed ID, uh, then you're going to be able to still be able to effectively target in a way, not in the exact same way as it used to be, but still be able to target in a somewhat good way. And you're going to be able to buy those ad impressions at a much cheaper rate because everybody else is just buying without targeting the data. And you're going to be able to target and select that data more. And the CPM should drop a lot when this when all this happens, which make, makes it much more effective for you to be able to buy. We spoke and we have spoken about this in context of Google so far and them really leading the way when it comes to privacy-centric initiatives and you know what Google does, the rest of the market typically follows. I'm curious to know just your personal opinion. Why do you think Google is making these changes? Uh, it's a competitive edge for them because they have a lot of first-party data. So you're going to be more reliant on Google products after they make these changes. So for Google, it's going to be great. For them, it's wonderful. They have all this data already. They can target whatever they want. They have all the first-party data that they need because they own Chrome, they own Android, and they're going to be able to target the users exactly how they want to target the users without any issues. The issues is going to be for all the parties that are outside of Google and don't have that first-party data. Their targeting capabilities are just going to get slashed in to basically maybe 20, 25% of what they could do uh, in the past. So it's going to be a hugely competitive edge for Google, but at the same time, you're going to be much more reliant on Google products as well. And from a skills perspective in your company, uh, you know, this last couple of years would have brought about a lot of change. Are you building your, your own software? Was that software already in place? How have you adapted as an agency to everything we just discussed there. Yeah, so the first thing that we're adapting on is on our first-party data. So we're actually developing our own apps. Uh, So our first app that we've developed is Tier Rewards. Tier Rewards is basically a rewards app that your user can earn rewards to be able to um, uh, play games or do do certain actions within the app, et cetera. And uh, we actually build a lot of first-party data from there. So we get uh, a lot of data for users that we can target, and then we can utilize that data to be able to target those users uh, programmatically. So uh, we are basically developing that first-party data so that we can target those users when those those moments come, so that when advertisers need to be able to target those users, we already have the way to do that and to match those uh, users with the, uh, with the right publishers where we can find them. Has it meant a fundamental change? Because you've been involved in app marketing, it brings about a fundamental change in acquisition strategy. Is that fair? Yeah, it's when the IDFA got depreciated, uh, that was already a very big thing in the mobile advertising space. That really um, made it very difficult for a lot of players. And um, the same thing is going to happen basically now with, with Google, but it's going to change everything there because Google it's basically talking about eliminating the device ID altogether. So there's basically not going to be a Google advertiser ID anymore. Uh, with iOS, when the IDFA got depreciated, you still have about 20, 25% IDFAs that get uh, enabled and that we can actually target still. Uh, but that's basically disappearing with Google. So it's going to change the whole landscape. And um, it's funny, actually, every year or two years, uh, there's a new player that is the, the main player and then they disappear after two years again. And then it just continuously goes around in the mobile advertising space. If you don't con- continuously stay on top, you're actually going to be gone and very quickly. It's a very competitive market. And that's also the changes come very, very rapidly. Yeah, I'm really interested in this 
acquisition part and how you adapted to it. So you built an app to essentially capture a lot of first party data as an acquisition strategy. Um, I'm assuming that you're built, you, you kind of, I think, implied that you maybe you're building other apps as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So we're trying to get as much date, first party data as we possibly can. And then we're using programmatically basically to be able to target those users across the web. Um, so our main goal for 2023 and 2024 is basically get a lot of first party data, then use that first party data to be able to buy programmatically and across our tier network, what we call it, um, so that we can effectively get the users across the, the entire web. And are you seeing this um, strategy of, I guess, the creation of apps as an acquisition strategy? Are you seeing other big corporations use this strategy as well? Yeah, there actually are some very big corporations that are using this. So Iron Source is another big promoter in the advertising space for apps. They have their own studio with games and basically have a lot of first-party data on that side. You have AppLovin does the same thing as well. So I think anybody that doesn't build their own traffic sources um, are basically not going to be existing in like three or four years. Uh, it's just going to be too difficult to compete and too difficult to be able to actually uh, play along with the with the other guys. And what are some of the other your other favorite examples of first party data capture? So that could be apps, that could be any kind of creative marketing used to capture that data. What are some of your favorite examples that you've either seen or feel free to give examples of projects you're proud of that you've worked on for your clients? Yeah, so first party data is really any data that you can get about a user. So the moment you have a phone number or an email address, those are the two main uh, unique identifiers, I would say, uh, that are going to be still relevant in the future, right? Your phone number, how often do you change your phone number and how often do you change your email address? Whereas the phone number would be more accurate because you only have one phone number and email address, some people have multiple. That is already the core of first-party data. Now, if you can match that with data in, in terms of like, okay, who are actually purchasing, for example, you have someone that purchased a product on your website, that's also first-party data. If you have their phone number or email address, then you have something to be able to make a profile of that user. Now, then it's just what other data can you get about that user that can make it more possible for you to uh, get an exact target group of what you want to have, right? Is it a male? Is it a female? What is the age? Where do they live? What is their zip code, right? All of that information that you can get for your users and your customers that you have right now, the more you have that and build that over the next couple of years, the more easily you're going to be able to adapt onto that uh, market where you have to use your first party data. So what we what we focus on a lot is just getting all of the data that we have possible from our users. And that's where I'm very proud of that we're already building that because that's something that's going to be uh, hugely advantageous for a lot of our clients. But any of our clients, we also try to push them as much like, okay, try to get as much data as possible that you can get for your own apps as well and try to connect that all with your marketing attribution so that you can actually target those users and figure out exactly where they came from as well. So yeah, there's a lot of things that that I'm proud of in, in terms of that side. I, the main thing I would say and the, what we're most happy with is the first party data that we're developing for ourselves and leading the way and showing like, okay, this is how you could do it. And then for the rest, our customers will be basically be able to follow that uh, image i wonder if things like reward you mentioned um was it what was the name of your app tier tier rewards, tier rewards. yeah i wonder if um 
companies are going to focus more on loyalty and retention apps because that would seem like one of the smartest ways if if big companies don't have loyalty or retention schemes at the moment then producing an app which you know a lot of companies already have for loyalty and retention is one of the easiest ways in which you can capture some of that first party data for phone numbers email addresses that core data that you need uh, i'm just i'm curious to know whether you've seen like over this last few years and whether you think into 2023, 2024, loyalty schemes and retention apps or rewards apps are actually going to see a boom of some sort. I think it's going to be a major traffic source in the future as it is something that users are very keen to give away information because they get some kind of reward back for it. So it's very easy to collect any kind of data that you want to have, right? It's male, female, uh, the age, um, uh, any other information that you want, if you give them a reward for that and there's a transaction basically for that, they're very keen to do that. It, actually, here in Indonesia, you have uh, a Dutch word that they use is gratis, right? It's like a free. And uh, they do a lot of that kind of stuff here and it works really, really well. It's, um, they get a huge, like every big brand has their own kind of loyalty program or anything in that area. And they're getting a huge amount of data from that side. And that's all their first party data that... Uh, uh, we see is being used very effectively here. I'm also thinking about skills here. So for you to adapt in that way, were you already building apps as an agency prior to um, the news of a cookie-less world and the emergence of a cookie-less world? Was that something you were already doing? We were more focused on our own technology to automate a lot of the marketing channels. That was really more of our focus. When these things came into into fruition and we saw that uh, Google's privacy sandbox was starting to get incorporated and when it was announced, that's when we really went on to a high gear to be able to to build this out. Because when we saw that, it was like, okay, only first-party data providers are going to be able to actually uh, still work in this ecosystem. And uh, without it, you're basically not going to exist. So it was a matter of uh, existence, really. If, if, if we don't do it now, then, yeah, we're going to have a very difficult time when this comes what were the maybe specific skills that some of you recall maybe your team asking about or talking about new skills that maybe even yourself you had to learn over this last couple of years? Actually being able to uh, look into data and how the tech, the tech side works like databases and, and how that all uh, gets structured. Um, SQL, these kind of areas, these kind of skills are really required. Um, for programmatic itself, I would say that's really a skill. And it takes a lot of time to really master that um, because there's programmatic is not as easy as a Google ads campaign or a Facebook campaign, right? If you set up a Google ads campaign, you know, it's almost done for you. Basically that's how simple they've made it. The only thing that would be difficult is the keyword research on that side. Right. And uh, the ad creatives that you use, it's the same thing for Facebook. Their data that they have available is so vast that you can actually be able to target the right uh, user group very easily. Um, and you just need to focus on the right creative and the right messaging there. With programmatic, it's it's very different. There you have to really select the data. Um, you have to set it up correctly. You have to do a lot of experimentations. I think for a, for a client on average, we have maybe uh, 120, 130 different variations when we start a campaign um, on all kinds of different subsets and things that we test out on just to make sure that we can actually get the right users for them uh, with the right data sets. Yeah, I would say the programmatic side and learning that side and really mastering that side, that was really a uh, skill set that is very valuable. And and for anybody that is 
interested in building their own brand and, and building their own skill sets, programmatic advertising is going to be a very valuable um, skill set in the future. Yeah, I've seen this argument that when it comes to a cookie-less world, perhaps that makes life more difficult for marketing analysts and data-driven oriented marketers. And, you know, I, I both I kind of agree and disagree. I really think it comes down to the individual and how, much, how well they can adapt. But I actually think what you've just said there about programmatic, for data-driven marketers, uh, marketing analysts, people that like to experiment and crunch data and analyze data, programmatic is perhaps a good discipline to learn. There are, there's a lot of transferability in the skills. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I would say that's fair. And, and for yourself, learning, you just talked about programmatic is, uh, is difficult to learn or uh, maybe takes a long time to really execute well. Is there anything that you can point to to our listeners to say, hey, you know, here are some resources that you should check out to learn about programmatic? Where would you start? Yeah, so I would look at some of the major platforms that are out there. Uh, the Trade Desk is a very good platform and they have a very good educational area as well. They also offer courses that you can learn about programmatic advertising. Um, at the IAB, the Internet Advertising Bureau in UK, they also have a lot of materials regarding programmatic and you can also buy a course there regarding programmatic advertising. But it is, to be honest, it's quite limited because it's not really mainstream yet. Uh, not a lot of people are talking about it yet and not a lot of people are actually doing it yet effectively. Um, so there's there's limited amount of materials available there. And the main thing I would say with programmatic advertising is that if you start, for example, on the trade desk, right, and you want to get activated there, um, you can spend $10,000 very easily and then not have any results, not have any, uh, not anything to be able to showcase like, oh, okay, we got this. Because it's not only just activating the campaign, it's really using the data and connecting that data to be able to target precise audience groups. And without that, and without that knowledge of how to use data and how to use programmatic as a connection with those two, it's very difficult for you to be able to be effectively buying on these platforms. So we have a lot of clients that say like, oh, we tried programmatic, but it wasn't successful. And then the question always is like, okay, how did you do that? Uh, did you use data? What data did you use? How did you implement the data? It's a lot of different branches that are related towards that to make a good campaign successful. And without understanding each of those branches, you're not going to be effective on programmatic. And that's the uh, difficult part of it. And that's why if you get used to it now, right, then you really understand what you need to do there. Um, you can be, yeah, it's a very valuable skill set to have in the future. And we've made programmatic seem like an absolute no-brainer in this episode. But I know there are some difficulties or there are going to be some obstacles with people that are approaching programmatic for the first time. So could you maybe summarize a few of the, you know, for those businesses that are maybe listening to this and thinking, okay, I want to get started with programmatic. What are some good places to start? What do I need to have in place? What's your recommendation? I would say first off is understanding who your user is. Use your first party data and really analyze, okay, who is my user? Where are they located? And what is their demographics? That's a great point to start, right? If you know that your user groups are uh, that are the most active users, right, or the most the best customers that you can get are females ranging between the age of 30, 35, and are located in the United States, you're already 10 times better off than if you would start off uh, without knowing that and not starting on programmatic. Programmatic is a very uh, expensive tool to learn on. 
So I would always recommend first getting that first party data from Facebook, from AdWords, where they have this safe environment where you can uh, get that first party data for yourself to understand exactly what you're looking for. Now, once you know what you're looking for in terms of the audience that you're looking to target, then it's going to be which platform are you going to be able to use that is going to be most effective. Now, with programmatic, uh, you have what's called a DSP. It's a demand side platform. You have an exchange and then you have an SSP, a supply side platform. You want to be looking at the platform that takes the least amount of fees before it arrives at the actual uh, place where the ad is shown, right? So if you're showing, uh, you're buying on a a DSP and their fees are not clear, usually it's about 40 to 50% is cut from the actual cost of advertising until it arrives at the place where the ad is shown. So understanding the fees is a, extremely important part to be able to effectively buy. So your platform that you have, is it actually uh, very transparent with the fees that they have? And are the fees reasonable, right? Some fee, some platforms charge 30% as a DSP, and then the SSP also charges 30%. Then you lost already 60% of your advertising spend, right? So the platform that you choose, the DSP, is crucial. If that DSP, what kind of, DSP is it as well? That's the second point of that. It's like, is it a branding DSP? Branding DSPs are usually not as precise as a performance DSP would be. A performance DSP has a much more precise targeting system. So you're going to have less waste. And then um, lastly would be, okay, how can you connect your data? What kind of uh, third-party data sources are, are available there on the DSP that you can buy from? And how much does that data cost? Yeah, that's really the, the 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 main points I would say that you have to look into. So just to recap on that, right? The first one would be understanding your user base, who you want to target. Second is which tool are you going to use to be able to effectively buy and how much do they charge you? And make sure that you find the best tool with the least amount of costs. And the third part is uh, which uh, uh, data sources can you use so that you can target the first point of uh, and and be more precise with where you're buying. To close out this episode, I was just thinking, are there any cultural differences in approaches to privacy that you've seen over the last few years? I'm particularly interested in, like in Europe, I feel like we're very privacy conscious at the moment. Is it the same in Indonesia that you've seen? Yeah, no, not really. Um, it's very different. Um, here they don't really uh, matter so much. They don't care about it too much. Actually, there are no privacy laws here really that are really relevant yet. There are are talks about it, but they don't really know yet how to to implement it. There's also a lot of push from China to be able to find like a substitute for the Google Advertise ID, which is being done by the Chinese brand manufacturers like Xiaomi and Oppo. And those are more brands that are very big here in Southeast Asia, right? Um, That are not so prevalent in the United States or in Europe. So there's, yeah, it's it's a completely different world, I would say. I would say like Southeast Asia is like four years behind to Europe in terms of the advertising space for mobile apps or in the advertising space in general. And uh, they have a lot of catching up to do. And regarding pi- privacy, I don't see it that big of a talking point. There are not that much discussions about it, uh, especially in Southeast Asia. If there's a, a coupon that they can get or a discount and they need to give some private information, they don't, have, they don't mind that at all. 
And you're right at the centre of that. That's so fascinating to me. You as a person, you know, having come from Europe and we just discussed the Netherlands and travelling and ending up in Indonesia, you must be the most difficult person to target for an advertiser because you're just between, you must have different browser configurations, different privacy settings. It must be very hard to get hold of you. So I'm very glad that you came on the podcast today so that I can speak to you. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, actually, I would just point out I'm actually the. I think I'm one of the easiest to target. I, I op- open it up for everybody. I'm like, I'm not gonna cut myself with the finger. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that leads us out for a close perfectly because how can people find you if you want people to speak to you or reach out to your company? Where can they find you? Yeah, so I'm. I always uh, answer everything on LinkedIn. So if you ever want to reach out towards me on my LinkedIn, um, just look look me up. Zeno Ross Van Donningen. That's a, bit, a great way to reach out towards me. I always respond towards that. And otherwise, um, going to our website, www.tierads.com, T-Y-R-A-D-S.com. And um, then one of my sales teams can actually help you out uh, with any kind of ideas that you need to have from programmatic or mobile advertising or anything in that area. Wonderful. Zeno, thank you all. It's been a pleasure speaking to you today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.